0: Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood, paying the price to redeem our life from sin and destruction. That we might have close, intimate fellowship with you. We might understand what you have restored our life to in that relationship. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live on the inside of us, but you are here to minister to every heart and every life. We thank you for that spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of you, the eyes of each and every heart would be flooded with light to know what is the hope of our calling, that there would be a great expectancy arise to what is before us, that which is in us, God, that we would recognize that which you have done not only for us, but what you are doing in us, what you desire to do through us, that we might be lights in the midst of darkness, that we together collectively as your church would be that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Those who are in darkness, those who are suffering, might be drawn to the very light of life that we are blessed to carry. So we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise and thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name. Everyone who greets said, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How you doing? Welcome to 1030 service. We're glad that you are here with us. Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, the life of God dwells in me and the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. If you believe that, you can be seated. Once again, welcome. We want to welcome you if you're visiting with us today. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. And uh, we pray, our prayer for you is this something in fellowship with others, something that's said, something that's ministered. The worship time would be a great blessing if you're a believer. It'll equip you uh, to go out and minister to others, be a light in the midst of darkness. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're here today, that something today will cause you to know on the inside that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is, that he came, he shed his blood that you might be forgiven and enter into relationship with God, that today you'd recognize that. And it would be the greatest day of your whole life that you would commit your heart and life to him as Lord and Savior. Amen. Praise the Lord. I just want to uh, remind you of a couple things. Uh, the 17th and 18th, the Hankins are going to be with us. And uh, <clears throat> then in May, Brother Jesse uh, Duplantis, but mark your calendars. We just firmed this up this week, uh, July 19th, 20th, and 21st. Uh, our men's conference, our Stand Tall Men's Conference, uh, and uh, Addison and Arden Bevere are going to be our speakers at the men's conference, uh, and that'll be Friday night and Saturday morning. And then Saturday night... For the whole community, everybody that we can get to come. Uh, John Bevere is going to be here for a night of the awe of God. He's doing an awe of God tour on his book, The Awe of God. And he will be here Saturday night uh, to do uh, a meeting for everybody uh, on the awe of God. And then that's Sunday morning, uh, Arden and Addison. Uh, we'll be ministering again. So men, mark your calendars. Church, mark your calendars. It's going to be a great weekend uh, of really ministry of the word. And so um, again, I believe this year we're we're keying up uh, just for some things that are taking place. Amen praise the Lord. I was telling the first service, my timing is always impeccable. You know, they're making all these announcements about Valentine's Day, about love and all that. And two weeks ago, I did a message on covenant love. And today we're starting a new series that really isn't about Valentine's Day or love or anything. Uh, But in light of everything that uh, has taken place really from December 31st and when really God spoke to us prophetically, really about 2024. And then after that, seeing what Brother Rick Renner had said and others had talked about uh, 2024, navigating 2024. Many people have the same language. I don't know that they've listened to each other, but though there's a great things for the church, there'll be tumultuous times, turbulent times within the world. That The church really, it's really a great time uh, for the church to shine. It really is our time. It's the dispensation of the church. But as we go into it, you know, and last uh, week, Pastor Marshall uh, uh, talked about uh, some very uh, similar things to what we you know, had talked about at the beginning of the year. And even last year, we got our foundational scriptures, Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, in all of your ways, let me say all your ways, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Psalms 37, trust in the Lord, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness right? Trusting in him. And then it says, delight yourself also in him and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to him and he will establish them. And so really even going into the two years, it's really upon us, the church, to put our trust in God and really follow him no matter what the, the, the world does, what the dictates happen, uh, the things that take place, that uh, really he wants us to focus more and more on him, not less. And so in Hebrews, really, it tells us, you know, in the last of the last days, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but even more so to gather together as we see the day approaching. Why? Because there'll be turbulent times out there. You'll be tossed to and fro. There'll be different ideologies, different thoughts. So we come together to exhort one another, to encourage one another towards love and good works. And so really we maintain and are established in a way that we can continue to go forth. When things are turbulent, Pastor Tasha uh, made reference to this, you know, that anything that Hebrews 12 says, anything that can be shaken will be shaken, but that which cannot be shaken will remain. And so, you know, the funny thing about the days that we're going into is if you're not careful, you may feel like with everything shaking that you're shaking, but God wants to establish this so that we're not shaking. So, have you ever had this happen? You know, uh, you're sitting at a a stop sign or you're sitting still or you're talking to somebody and you're sitting still and you're not really paying attention, but out of the corner of your eye, something else or another car is moving. Because you're kind of caught by surprise, you put on the brakes because you think you're moving, but you weren't moving in the first place. Somebody else was moving. Well, I believe there's just a time that if we're watching the world, We can be certainly still, but we start to think, oh my gosh, my life's coming apart. Oh, look at all this stuff. But if we stop for a moment and we're serving God, we're understanding those things that we won't be shaken, that we will remain. So it'll be an odd time sometimes to feel like, oh man, everything's going crazy. But when you just stop and realize, man, I am on a firm foundation, right? I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know what belongs to me. And so really in moving forward in this and and thinking about this, um, and I've been pondering this for quite a while, this section of scripture over and over, you know, in in times past, a lot of people have talked about kingdom culture and understanding kingdom culture. Well, you know, the fullness of that, I don't even think some people understand when they say we need kingdom culture, what they're understanding. But uh, we want to launch off uh, of this and talk about these Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they are of the kingdom of God, right? And so <laughs> as we move into this, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> I want to lay some groundwork and then we'll spend the next couple of weeks on some of these key aspects of what we're going to be talking about. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, and you, speaking of us all, he made alive who were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So he's explaining to all of us, he's explaining to the church at Ephesus, something about what governs our life. Or what controls our life or what directs our life. So again, not trying to get ahead of myself, but breaking it down. He's saying you are actually under the kingdom that dictates this world system. All of us were because of what? Adam's disobedience, right? He said, it's now still at work. People are still just governed by the course of this world, which is directed by the prince of the power of the air. Why? Because they've not been born again, And to understand that there's two kingdoms at work, only two, you're not in the middle somewhere, you're not in the gray area, you are either offspring, born again, offspring of Christ's obedience to the death of the cross, redemption, or you are subject and offspring of Adam's disobedience. So a lot of people would like to find a gray area, but you're not, right? It's either comes after Adam's sin and you're under that dominion with that sin enslaved people, or you've been set free from that and are redeemed, right? So that's what he's explaining. He's saying, we all were once there. So don't be pointing the finger at people in the world. He said, you were there too. So he ends this and he goes into verse four. He says, but God, so we'd all be subject to just going with the flow of the world. He said, why are you saying that pastor? Because what we've heard, people say is, 2024, the world could get a little bit more chaotic. And the world can be, uh, you know, be here and there, and there can be ups and downs, and there can be, uh, you know, as Isaiah says, woe to those who call right wrong and wrong right. There can be, you know, people trying to convince you that things you believe are wrong are right. And things that you believe were right are wrong. And if we're not firmly settled on that, that course could begin to convince you of something in the tumultuous times because you look and say, why is everything going this way? But if you're firmly grounded in the word and in relationship with God, you'll see and you'll know why everything's going that way, why the confusion is taking place. But we have our standard. We have that which will govern our life. So he goes on to say, but God, who is rich in mercy... The Amplified Bible says it like this because he's rich in mercy. In order to satisfy his great love for us, sent Jesus to die for us. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. He goes on to say that you've been seated with him in heavenly places. In Ephesians 1, he tells you that that where Christ is seated, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named. So it's a place of authority that we're sitting in, in virtue to our position in Christ, right? And so when we look at that, we begin to understand this principle, God, who's rich in mercy, in order to satisfy his great love. So you're going to have to go back and connect everything we're going to say in this series and connect it to our last series about covenant love and covenant connections. So in order to satisfy his love because of his covenant love, He couldn't leave us where he is at. Couldn't leave us where he's at. So we're going to mark some things down again. We're just introducing today, but because of that. So sometimes we take that for granted. But when you understand covenant, you understand redemption, you understand righteousness and justification, then you understand that God, because of who God is, not because of who we are, because of the covenant that he made, he had to satisfy covenant love. And send Jesus to die for us. Because in his heart we're connected by covenant. So God's always been faithful to what he said and who he created. God's always been faithful. But us, on the other hand, we have to recognize and realize the God that we serve. And so when we get into the understanding of this, this kingdom of God. When we get into the understanding of God's righteousness and his rightness we'll talk about this a little bit, but Paul said this in, in, in Romans, the first chapter, the 16th verse, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because within the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. How right God is. So even as we go through this, it's going to empower us to share the gospel with others because we're not going to go, Oh no, what will people say? I'm feeling a little apprehensive. No, we'll know that in sharing what Christ did, it's gonna reveal the rightness of God so that people can see the goodness of God and come to repentance, right? So right now we've done a little misservice because you know in times past, we think that sharing is just telling people about hell. And so people have come to this conclusion. Well, now, wait a minute. If God is so loving... Why is he going to send people to hell? But see, in the gospel, it's revealed God's not sending anybody to hell. Now, before you shut me off, people are like, wait a minute. He's not sending anybody to hell. He sent Jesus to save every single person and give them an opportunity to believe, save them from eternal condemnation that sin brought. So he's not sending anybody. People are making a choice. But see, in the gospel, we give them a good choice. Because we reveal that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And now everything is of God, who did what? Who reconciled us to himself, and did what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, here we go again. I have a ministry. No, you do. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, just keep reading. He tells you exactly what the ministry of reconciliation is. For us to tell others that God sent Jesus, he wasn't imputing your sin to you. But through Christ, he sent him to pay the price for your sin so that you could be reconciled to God. That's the good news. So we've become ambassadors to represent Christ, to represent the new birth, to represent the kingdom of God, to represent what that looks like, to have dominion, to walk free from sin because he set us free. And then he goes on to say that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's going to be a huge part of what we talk about, the understanding of righteousness. The understanding of righteousness. So we're going to talk about a number of things, the kingdom of God. So there's always a conflict here about the kingdom of God, what that is, the kingdom of heaven. People think that the kingdom of heaven is all about after we leave this body until we go, but no, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, has come near us. Not only that, he says the kingdom of God is in you. So to understand really what the kingdom is and how we operate within the kingdom. And then he says, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So righteousness There's been a a struggle against righteousness, even in religion, even in, in Christianity, people continuing to try to keep the sin consciousness alive. Thinking it's humble, thinking it's good. Well, you just don't have to understand. We're all just sinners saved by grace. We all were sinners by nature. Grace saved us from that sin. So we've become the righteousness of God in Christ. So there's a lot of stuff out there right now that's really pounding, saying anybody who preaches that, and they go to Romans chapter 3. And we will go to Romans chapter 3 and break that down. There's none righteous, no, not one. Well, you can't stop there. You have to keep reading because he he flips the tables on why none were righteous and how we become, what, righteous? Justification. Justification. So we're going to explain justification Because we just read over that, we don't understand that. But justification is so linked to righteousness that we can't unhook them. But if we don't understand justification, we won't truly understand righteousness. So for a long time, just to swing from self-righteousness and who we are, we brought back righteousness of the Word of God and just called it right standing. So people just say, I prayed a prayer, I'm in right standing with God. But if you don't understand justification, you won't understand exactly the righteousness that you stand in. Yeah. But when you understand the righteousness that you stand in, it becomes a governing force in your life. So the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. All right? So we're going to move, uh, just lay a little groundwork that may seem uh, redundant or Uh, You know, something you already know. But turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 8. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be saved. So back there where he says, we used to live according to the dictates of the world. We were under basically the control or the kingdom that governs this world. He said, but God, who was rich in mercy, who loved us so much in order to satisfy his love, sent Jesus to die for us. By grace, you've been saved. So grace, you know, it's not simply God's favor. It's God's favor, God's ability, God's influence. So by this multifaceted grace, not of ourselves, lest we would boast. So right there, he's going to connect that. You need to highlight that, underline that, not of yourselves. Again, you may know that, but what we hope to do is bring a greater revelation. Because we can say, well, it it wasn't of myself, it was of God's favor. But when we start to understand how much it was not of ourselves, right? The natural mind says, well, wait a minute, I have to have some part in this. But he says, no, it was not of yourselves because you can't boast in yourself. But the moment you begin to see what his grace did in justifying you, bringing you to righteousness. Now it's, it's not that I feel lesser. I'm empowered through that humility and understanding it wasn't of me. It's all of God. Now if it was all of God and God is God and he's all powerful and he did that for me, there's a power that's at work in my life that if I give attention to it, will again govern my life. Why is that so important? That if we get into a chaotic world, we have to have the proper compass. We have to have the proper guide or governing force to move us forward. And so if it gets chaotic, we're going to be swimming against the current, a current that may be so hard that we just say, well, I'm just going to go off if we try to do it ourselves. but God will keep us in line. And so he says, listen, I want you to understand grace. I want you to understand righteousness because it's not of you. And so, you know, we get to that point of thinking and that sin consciousness that comes in. You know, one writer said that all, all uh, they believe all spiritual failure comes because of that sin consciousness. Because it creates an inferiority complex in man. There were always sinners. And that, that whole thing starts to wrap up. And, you know, you get the people who are, you know, they're, they're thinking themselves to be honest. I've heard this a lot of times. You know, Pastor, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. Because, you know, honesty is, I want to be honest. I have a lot of problems. And I still mess up in a lot of ways. But I just want to be honest. Even though I mess up a lot. At least, I'm trying hard, at least I'm not as bad as some of these other people. (laughs) Now, come on, if Christianity has come to just not being as bad as somebody else, we have taken the blood of Jesus and trampled it underfoot. When our badge of honor is not being as bad as someone else. Sin consciousness has run amok. Now you laugh a little bit, but I want you to be challenged in your heart to say, has that ever really come up in me? Looking around going, I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. Because the enemy is trying to, Grab a part of your heart that doesn't belong to him. What Jesus did for you was not to just simply not be as bad as someone. He wiped all that away. To set you up. To have a life that was governed by, through, and for him and his glory. That looks phenomenal. It looks phenomenal. So when he saved us, it was by his grace. We confess that. What does salvation mean? It means saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole and prosper. Well, how did that happen? Well, he redeemed our life with his own precious blood. He redeemed our life. So, uh, you know, Colossians chapter uh, 1 tells us that. It says, you know, that we were delivered from the power of darkness, conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we just talked about blood covenant, Jesus by his blood. There was only one price that could be paid without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. So when he shed his blood, he redeemed our life. That word redeemed again, uh, we're just trying to lay some groundwork here. It's much broader than we can say in just a few minutes. But when he shed his blood, there was a price. We were slaves of sin. That word redeemed means to ransom back or to buy back. So when Jesus hung on the cross and shed his blood, that spotless blood, that was the price for your life. That was the price for your life. Pay for. So any price accepted, now he paid the price. So when you say, Jesus, I believe you shed your blood for me, then you're saying, I believe you shed your blood to purchase my life. Out of the slavery of sin, and I receive that price paid. I believe you died for my sin, you raised from the dead, so what? I give my life to you, paid for, so now I belong to him. I belong to him. He's purchased my life. I'm no longer my own. I belong to him. Now that can sound like bad news, you know. When we were in Turkey ministering to Iranian Muslims, one of the things that we got over and over when we'd give them a Bible, we'd talk to them, they'd say, Why would I want to change the oppression of one God for the oppression of another? And we'd have to go to them and say, Here's what Jesus did for you. Right? That one gal that we ministered to, she came in, she was in tears, she spoke a little bit of English. She said, My God. And we don't understand a lot about this in in different phases, but she said, my God, she pulls off her hood. uh, She was wearing a hoodie. She pulled off her, her her hair was a different color. She said, my God, if I don't cover this up with a burqa, will hang me by this hair to punish me, right? My God, if I don't do right, will beat me. Just gave me an opportunity to say, well, there's a big difference between the God that you serve and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because my God won't hang you by your hair. Jesus hung on the cross, so you wouldn't have to be hung by your hair. My God's not looking to beat you. Jesus was already beaten and hung on the cross, so you don't have to be beaten. She looked and went, wow. Here's the difference between the God they said would punish me that I was so subservient to and this one who loved me. Right? So we come under, under that place of a loving God not that servitude. Then we have to understand we can either be under the slavery of sin or give our life to the one who created us. Right? When you come under the guise or the ownership or the the, the slavery, if you will, the governing factor of the one who created you, then he's just going to bring all the components to let you free to do everything he created you to do. So it's a good thing to come under the dominion or the ownership of the creator. But to come under the dominion of sin is like this. This is a weak analogy. But you know, you go to buy a car, right? And so when you you, uh, agree on the price paid, then you get to drive the car home. It's yours. But what he did is he created, it's like him getting a, a Rolls Royce, a great car. So he would take it and put it and make sure it's, it's always shined up. It's always maintained. It's always taken care of. So in the end, when somebody came to look at it, they would say, have you ever driven this? This looks as new as can be. So I drive it all the time. I just take immaculate care of it because I know exactly how it runs because I created it as opposed to sin coming and taking your life and running it down and leaving it parked in the desert. And when it breaks down, never gets fixed. Driving it, running out of oil till your engine locks up. And so sin was doing that as in the process of doing it. And our creator said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to pay you for that car that you are running into the ground because you have run my creation into the ground. It doesn't even look like the artistic piece of work I created. for. So he pays and he buys it back and he takes it to his garage and he does a total restoration to make it just like he created it to be. And the value of that soars. So I like old Ford's Some people like older Fords than I do, but I like old Fords. I'm still looking to get an old Bronco, an old truck. I have a a medium Bronco. I'm looking for an older box Bronco. Dear Lord, I should have kept one from high school. But you can find one who the wheels are off. I mean, it's just in decent shape. And you're like, holy cow, that's what you want for it. But people will find that and pay that price. Why? Because they're putting it, they're taking it to their garage And they're going to work and work, and they're going to restore it to its original. And many would say, I'm going to restore it better than original. Because they know no matter what I pay for that, when I'm done, the value is going to soar. See, when Jesus purchased your life by his own precious blood, he said sin had run it down. And people might not think your life is worth anything. You might not think it's worth anything. I drive by and see some of these Broncos sitting out in the backyard somewhere. They got rust and stuff. And I'll stop and talk to them and say, what do you want for that? And they're like, oh, about $30,000. i am like, are you kidding me? See, they think, wow, I'll get something for it. But it's really been devalued so much. But somebody will go pick that up and have the means to totally restore that. So we think, you know, I don't know if my life's worth anything. But he says, listen, I, the creator, can restore that. He'll take it. Restore it back to normal. That's what your salvation is about. That's what redemption is about—getting you back to the place that you were created to be, in through redemption. So turn over to uh, Revelation, the fifth chapter. Revelation, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse. He says, "Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having." a harp and golden bolts full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, speaking of Jesus, you were slain and have redeemed us unto God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests unto our God. And we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign on the earth. And so you were redeemed with a divine purpose. You were redeemed to reign in life. You were not redeemed to be reigned over. You were redeemed to reign in life. So to go back to our foundational text, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but its righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God, Paul is telling them, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're free to do a lot of things. But the moment you start doing stuff that causes your brother to stumble, you've stepped out of the law of love. And really, the kingdom of God isn't about in all of this freedom to eat and drink, right? Right? We even get into that today. I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, some of the things you want, aren't, want to do aren't expedient. They're not propelling you into eternal life. He said, it's not about all that. We make it about that. I'm free to do this. I'm not free to do that. I'm free. He says, you're being governed by what you think you're free to do and what you're not free to do. You're, you're pressing to be able to drink. When is that doing you any good? You're pressing to be able to do things. He said, the kingdom's not even about that. Why are you getting into all that? The kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And your relationship with God and the depth of it will settle the other issues. They'll they'll actually settle the other issues. When people are like, I can do whatever I want. God will be the judge. Actually, you shouldn't say that so flippantly. Because God will be the judge. You're just trying to shuck it off so people don't talk about it. But don't say that flippantly, because you will stand before him and give that account. Why did you think you should just go ahead and be able to do that? So when we start to look at the kingdom of God and righteousness, we want to start divining uh, this just a little bit. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6 with me, defining this just a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, again, beginning, I'm paraphrasing, but if you've read this, he said, why are you worried about these essentials of life? what you eat, what you drink, what you put on. And of course, even he asked that, why do you worry about tomorrow? Why do you worry about these essential things? We would all have an answer for that. I have an answer why I'm worried about that because I don't want to be running around naked. I don't want to be stuck in the cold, right? I want to have my belly full. I can explain why I'm worried about it. So it wasn't like he was coming off the cuff, but he said, why do you worry about these things? Have you not seen and known The God who loves you. Look out there. Doesn't he take care of the lilies of the field? Doesn't he take care of the sparrows that fly by? If he does that, if you've actually observed that he does that, how much more important are you to him than they are? Again, we're going to try to settle that issue a little bit because some people go, I don't know how much more important I am very much more. So he said, instead of worrying about all that stuff, seek first, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There it is again, the kingdom and righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own uh, things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He said, tomorrow's got stuff in it already. So the only way you're going to occupy tomorrow is by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So some people get to the point of like, so you want me to just think about heaven all day? You just want me to think about heaven? Well, see, we're misunderstanding the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is not simply this location. It's something much deeper, something much more important, something much more powerful than that. Again, I'm going to say this over and over again, to be redundant, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We're talking about something that will govern your life in the storms of life. It will govern your life in tumultuous times. It will govern your life when all hell is breaking loose. uh, It will govern your life when everyone is saying right is wrong and wrong is right. It'll govern you because it is the kingdom of God. And so that that word kingdom there is a Greek word basilios. And it means this, it means really the concept of the kingdom of God is not primarily one of space or territory or politics as in a national kingdom, right? He's not talking about strictly just, okay, here is the kingdom of God and we have its borders, but it's more so talking about uh, this, this realm, a different realm. It's talking about kingly rule. It's talking about reigning over things, and it's talking about sovereign control. The kingdom of God is the realm where God reigns supreme. It's where God reigns supreme. In this, Jesus is the king, right? And so it's a place where God's rule and his reign is obeyed, is obeyed. So the gospels are full of, talk about the kingdom. Jesus' primary message throughout the gospel was the kingdom of God. So we start out, John said this. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. So what should we do? Repent. Jesus comes along and he says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. So you might want to highlight that, write that in your notes, repent, put it out there because we're going to get back to it because that has a lot to do with justification and understanding justification. So he said, repent. So then Jesus spent all this time telling all of these parables, which what would he say almost in every parable, not everyone, but almost every parable, the kingdom of God is like. So he was always talking about the domain, the realm where God's word rules, where God's rule reigns. So After saying the kingdom of God is at hand, it's come near you, right? He told the disciples to go out, to pray for the sick, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to heal the sick, to cast out devils. And he said, and if they don't accept you, tell them, shake the dust from your feet and tell them the kingdom of God came near you, right? The rule of God over sickness and disease, over demonic oppression, over understanding God has brought this to you. It came near you, but you rejected it. then after that, he tells the Pharisees, he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, he said, the kingdom of God is not seen through observation for the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is in you. So now we start to see that as believers, as we've accepted redemption, as we've accepted the price paid for our life, As we've been redeemed unto God, and our sin has been not only forgiven, but as we saw in covenant in Hebrews, it's washed away. For the blood of bulls and goats could only forgive sin for one year. And there was always a remembrance of sin every single year. But the blood of the lamb washed it away, removed sin once and for all. So it doesn't have to be reminded of. There doesn't have to be a sin consciousness Because in sin consciousness, sin can rule. But where there is no consciousness of sin, the sin nature, righteousness rules. You can hear the air filling up. (gasps) See, it does that because the enemy wants you to keep thinking, come on now, we still sin. There's a difference between sin and sin nature, right? Dogs bark, cats meow, sinners sin. You can be the righteousness of God, make your own choice, go against God, realize that, ask for forgiveness, and step back, right back in to the righteousness of God. But by nature, if you've accepted Christ, That nature's been removed. If you don't know it, the enemy will still mess with your life. When we know it, we understand it, we begin to rule through that righteousness with him, not apart from him. That's why we're going to look at and break this down, because it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God that we receive through the new birth. So some people just think, well, I'm in right standing with God. He forgives me. It doesn't matter. Whatever I do. No. If you understood, you'd be humbled of what Christ did. You'd receive what he did for you. And never have a desire to go back under sin. Are you all with me? All right. So we just want to look at a couple of other things here. And then we'll go. Praise the Lord. So turn over to Colossians chapter 1. I just want to show you what Christ did for you to impact you. Because once we settle the fact. That you have something different governing your life. It was God's will that something totally different govern your life. God's plan in this life. That something other than sin totally govern your life. So you can not say, oh, I couldn't help it. Oh, you just have to understand. It's in my family. My mama did it. My grandmama did it. My great grandmama did it. Just the way we are. We're warriors. It's our mountain, warriors, worriers, worriers. It's in there for generation to generation. You can stop and say, not anymore. Divorce, my mama did it, my grandmama did it, my, not anymore. See, it's easy to just say it's here and it's here to stay. But through Jesus Christ, no, it's not. It's not. And we find that hard, but with a revelation of how righteousness governs and rules and what it did for us, we're free. So Colossians chapter one, verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the father who has, he has, not we have, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light He has delivered us from the power or the dominion of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. It's in him, Jesus, that we have redemption. So again, you tie redemption to the kingdom that we've been moved into the dominion that we've been moved into Romans chapter six. Verse 14, again, in upcoming weeks, we'll take the surrounding scriptures that will totally make this make sense to you. The gospel and how the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. But Romans chapter six, verse 14, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. If we can get to the point of settling that once and for all. And when the enemy comes with those desires and those habits and pulls and pulls, and you say, I just can't help it. It's just too much. You realize, no, that's not who I am. I can easily say no to that. Right? There's a number of things here. This is why we can't compare ourselves by ourselves is because there's things that people have given themselves over to that they have a tough time quitting. I've never given myself over to it. So I'm like, what's the big deal? Just quit that. Well, you've never given yourself and been enslaved by it. So it's easy for you to say no. But I have something that I'm working on that I gave myself to that I I need to quit. And you might say, no big deal. I've never experienced that. So we start to understand that the enemy is always trying to find something in you, your past somewhere to say, I still got you. And we buy into that. He's subtle. We agree with that. Like, oh, I just can't help it. But the Bible says what Jesus did for you broke any power that he has. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to give place to it. But there has to be a revelation that I'm free. That's not who I am. I am not a sinner anymore. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So I believe that he's going to reveal The righteousness of God. So we understand the righteousness that we are. Not simply that we have. That we have become. Because he is just. And he is the justifier. Wow. Come on. It will change everything. It will change everything. Well I don't know if I can do it. Sure you can if you get that revelation. Well, you'll be a bunch of self right No. See, that's the thing. The enemy tries to get you. Well, you're going to really think you're something. You'll always humble yourself when you start to recognize, wow, I'm not empowered by my own flesh. That's what the enemy's coming to pull on the weakness of my flesh. But I no longer rely upon the weakness of my flesh, but the power of the Holy Spirit in me. So I'm always humbled at it because it's not me. It's Christ in me. Second Peter, again, there's a lot that surrounds this concerning the development of this righteousness. So he says this starting in verse eight. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent And we'll go through all that leads up to this. But he's saying, if you implement these these aspects of righteousness into the development of your life, you'll totally know God experientially. You'll know Jesus experientially. You'll know that you're saved. You'll know that you're cleansed from your sin. And you'll start to be even more diligent to walk in what God's called you to do. And he said, in these things, he said, therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Never stop How many of you believe the word of God is true? Many of you believe God's true and not a liar. Some of you think it's a trisk question. You never. So if God is true, he said, you, there's a place where you can never stumble. In the implementation of true righteousness, there's a place that you'll never stumble. He said, and for, and so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kenneth Weiss translation says it like this, after he says, you'll never stumble. He said, for in this, in your diligence to apply these things and to know Jesus and to know your sin is past, not present, that it's washed away, that he said, in this, for in this way, the entrance shall be richly provided for you into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, once that development, we step over a threshold and realize our whole heart is under the domain of God's rule, Christ's rule. He said, we've implemented this area of righteousness. Now, righteousness is governing my whole life. Romans 5, 17 says this, we're closing. For if by one man's offense, death reigns, Sin unto death, he's talking about one man's offense, Adam's disobedience. With Adam's disobedience came condemnation. See, a lot of people sin and then they're like, oh, people are judging me. Sin brings with itself condemnation. Condemnation to death. He said, so that for every person who's sin conscious, that reigns. I'm separated from God. What's going to happen when I die? There's no confidence in me standing before Jesus Christ on that day right death reigned but he said much more those who receive what the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ no fear You can look at 2024, 2025. You can look and if people prophesy it's going to be a difficult year. It's going to be tumultuous. There's going to be a lot of crazy things that happen. You can say, it does not move me. Because I receive the grace of God. I've received the gift of righteousness. And I will reign over situations of life through the righteousness of God. I'll not be toppled by sin. I no longer yield to that nature but I yield to the righteousness that has, been come, that has come to me through Jesus Christ. Again, lots of things might come to your mind. We'll endeavor to clear up what we can, but there's a place where if you grab this with your heart, it changes everything. It'll bring a pep to your step and a glide to your stride. It'll cause you to throw your, your, your shoulders back and look up and see that your redemption is right there before you. It'll cause you to look up and see the fields are white unto harvest and I am a laborer thrust into the harvest. I don't have to be afraid of what man can do uh, to me. God is on my side. I go with all the confidence in him. And as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why? because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who receives and in that gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith what he set up for believing for the Old Testament and how we live in it in the New Testament by faith if we gain that understanding and that boldness and that confidence in the gospel he said the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing to us who are being saved it's the power of God it's the power of God like Rick Renner said he brought out that dunamis translation and he said man you yourself with dunamis power are a one man army that's how Paul described it in the Greek when you're empowered by the spirit of God so we can say with boldness we can convey with boldness We can walk in love, covenant love, loving people, not wondering, but loving. Amen. Taking dominion over all those thoughts, knowing we can resist addiction. We can resist torment. We can resist offense. We can resist all things that would be not of God. We don't have to fall subject to them because of what Jesus did. It was a completed work. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. We glorify you. Oh God, thank you for redeeming, redeeming our life from destruction. That when you redeemed us by your own precious blood, you purchased us away from the power of sin and darkness. You caused us to be born again. The nature of sin that we were born into under Adam would be broken that we would be born into the very life of God, supernaturally changed into that which you created us to be. Help us to understand the new creation even into a greater depth and measure. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light. Once again, that we would know the hope of your calling, what we've been called unto, called into the kingdom of of your dear son delivered from the domain of darkness thank you lord minister to every heart minister to every life with every head bowed and every eye closed just as we've talked about redemption salvation if you're here today we don't want to miss any opportunity if you're here today and you may have not made jesus christ the lord of your life today is your day so today is the day of salvation he came and shed the blood that anything that you had done, sin that had controlled you, and when you make him the Lord of your life, you accept the price paid. He'll come in. He'll wash you. He won't just forgive you. He'll wash you of the past. He says he'll take your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more so it no longer is a hindrance to your life moving forward with him, but you'll know. He's forgiven me. He's washed me. He's cleansed me. I have a brand new start and it's not on my own, it's in fellowship with him. He's joined himself to me through covenant. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you today that you wouldn't go home not knowing him personally and intimately. It was his great grace. Anybody at all? Let's give you that opportunity just for a few moments. Just slip your hand up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, you can look up here. I just encourage you. Obviously, everyone here knows Jesus. If you don't, we'll have altar workers. If you thought, well, I don't want to raise my hand, come up here. Altar workers will be up here. Tell them, I need to to know more. I need to accept Jesus. But if not, if you all know Jesus, then good. We're talking about that boldness. Go out and share Jesus with somebody. Bring them back tonight. Bring them back next Sunday. So they have an opportunity to know what you know. Intimate fellowship with the Father, with the Son. And with the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you need prayer for anything. The altar workers will be up here to stand with you. Pray. Healing. Deliverance. uh, Salvation. Whatever you have need of. Amen. Say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus. Far exceeds. Any damage done to me. By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.